Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist and accredited advanced gender, sex and relationship diversity therapist, a sex and intimacy coach, speaker, author, and Dr. Lori, the specialist relationship therapist on Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. And I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create and maintain incredible relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet, one letter at a time. And today the letter is F and F is for future and forum and more questions and answers. As I uh, said the last number of weeks, I am in the process of a move. And so I have been taking this time to answer a backlog of questions that people have submitted um, in the podcasts. Uh, We'll be back to our regular program either next week or the week after, uh, and um, I'll have some new guests on. But for the moment, uh, I am answering questions. So let's get started. I was asked this week, the first question was, what do I do if I have a desire that I am too embarrassed to talk to my partner about? This depends. Sometimes uh, people are anxious about their desires because they think that they are particularly kinky, particularly way out there, or that um, nobody will want to engage in them with you. One of the things that I suggest is actually working on these things until you're comfortable with your desires. The more comfortable you are with what you want, the easier it is to find people to engage in it with you, um, and the easier it is to talk to a partner about it. Now, I get two different scenarios with people being concerned about 
how to tell a partner what they desire. The first scenario is somebody who has a kink or a fetish that is afraid that any new partner will find it either disgusting or weird or strange and will reject them. They are generally concerned about talking to partners about their desires and not um, ask already in a relationship and asking about that. The first thing I would say is that it is useful if you have kinks and fetishes that are essential to your sexual satisfaction to talk about this early on in your dating relationship. And I know some people think, wow, why would you want to bring that out at the very beginning? And what I say to that is, why would you want to get deeply involved with somebody only to find out that they are not interested in the things you're interested sexually. Is this a problem? Yes, it's a problem. If you are sexually incompatible and sex is important to you in a romantic relationship, then if you have an issue then, now there's a problem to solve that could have been dealt with by simply choosing someone else. And I, you know, someone say, well, it's not simple to choose somebody else. What if you've fallen in love? This is why I'm saying you do it at the beginning. I've talked a lot about people who come with a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. So there are lots of people who believe that there are so few partners available in the world, there's no one for them. That if they um, meet somebody that they're attracted to, who's attracted to them, that they need to hold on to that for dear life because they may never find another person. And so they try very hard not to say or do anything that might put the other person off. Therefore, they're not being themselves. Ultimately, that doesn't work in the long-term and it it doesn't work in the long-term relationship. And many of those relationships can last many years and then will split up for the reasons that they weren't really compatible in the first place. So, and not just for sex. I mean, people do this for all sorts of things, right? Um, how many people I see pretending they love every sporting match because their partner's into sport? Six months into the relationship, suddenly they don't want to par- participate anymore. And the partner feels let down because it's like, well, you always used to like to go to XYZ with me. Well, actually, no, I didn't. I just went because, you know, I, I-, I wanted to get you, basically. Yeah. I went because... That was a way to make sure that we had a relationship. And, and that's really disingenuous, right? So you don't want to be doing that because you're storing up problems for later. Please, please, please ignore all the books and podcasts and things that um, tell you that you should try and be whoever it is your partner wants you to be. And believe it or not, there's still plenty of that stuff out there. Um, there are still plenty of people telling women that that's how they should behave in order to catch a man. You know, be who he wants her to be. No, you should be yourself and be honest and be straightforward and authentic because you have a much better chance of making a good match if that's the way you are. So that's why if you have a kink or a fetish that is important to you, and I stress that is important to you, that means it's something that really, really turns you on and that you actually really, really need or really want in your sexual life, you disclose this early on. If you're non-monogamous, you disclose this up front, right? You're very clear. It's not something that you wait and then disclose later. 
This way you make sure that you're compatible. Now, it can feel uncomfortable, it can feel scary, it can feel frightening to disclose a kink or a fetish to someone if you are not sure if they're going to be into it at all. I suppose people meeting online have an easier time of it because uh, frequently their profiles and things have spaces for you to talk about what you like. You can also look at where it is you're meeting people and meet people in a specific place where they share your kinks and fetishes. But when you're meeting in, in, in the real world, in life, and I always think that meeting people in the real world um, saves actually a lot of time because you actually see whether they're the per you don't have to figure out if they're the person in the picture. You really get a better sense of them when you meet in the real world first. Um, you don't necessarily know anything about this person. You don't know what they like, what they're into, unless you've met them at a munch or at a kink event. Um, you have no idea if they share your stuff. That is something you do want to check out and be really clear with really quickly. If you're really afraid of talking about it, why? What is it that you're worried about? If you're worried that somebody's going to be disgusted or freaked out, why? Is, is that how you felt about it? Is it something you're wholly comfortable with? Do you have shame around it? If you have shame around kink or a fetish, it's a good idea to go and deal with that prior to trying to wrestle with telling a new person about it. Now, for some people, um, humiliation is part of their kink. So you're not going to deal with that part, the part that's fun, but you are going to deal with anything that is um, shame-based that makes it difficult for you to be comfortable with your kink or your fetish that makes you feel bad about yourself um, and that makes you find it incredibly difficult to talk with a partner or engage in whatever it is with a partner. Now, as long as it is something that is fully consensual and causing no permanent harm, then becoming comfortable with your desires is the best way to go. So that's one of an answer to it when it's one situation. However, the other common situation where somebody says to me, I'm afraid to tell my partner about my kink or my fetish is when they have had a kink or a fetish forever um, and they've been in a long-term monogamous relationship with someone. It's usually a long-term monogamous relationship with someone who knows nothing about this kink fetish desire of theirs. Sometimes the way that the person has managed to deal with this is by fantasizing during sex. The problem with that, of course, is that you're not present with your partner then. You're somewhere else in your head rather than being connected with your partner. Um, and that's noticeable. Uh, and it, it means the sex usually isn't as good. Um, or they've dealt with it through masturbation and fantasy, but that doesn't feel enough anymore. And what they really want is to be able to share this fetish with someone, experience this fetish with someone or this kink with someone or this desire with someone. And so 
now they need to tell their partner about what it is they desire. So the pitfalls are, of course, that you are already in a deep loving relationship with somebody or a deeply connected relationship or a long-standing relationship. And oftentimes when people bring this to me, it's because they don't want to lose that relationship. So they feel they have a lot to lose by saying something. However, they no longer feel they can stay silent because they are denying themselves something that is really important to them. And they feel like they're being inauthentic um, and they're not as engaged sexually with their partner. And so they see themselves because they're in a monogamous relationship is staying that way their whole life. Um, if their partner, if they don't tell their partner and also if their partner isn't interested or is disgusted by what they say, there's a lot of um, risk because they're concerned that if they mention it to a partner and the partner is disgusted or doesn't want to live like that or says no way, then their partner might choose to leave the relationship. Excuse me. Sometimes people are concerned that a partner will feel like they've been betrayed, like like um, because it's a sin of omission. You've never. I've been with you for twenty years, and you've never told me what it is that really turns you on. Um, so that's another reason why people can be panicked. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to be concerned about these things. Um, there is really nothing worse. I think, than discovering that your partner is not at all who you thought they were. It can be really, really distressing, particularly if you've been in a long-term committed relationship, a deeply committed relationship, um, uh, to discover that this person who you thought was into the same things you were, who you thought was really connected with you and, 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 and enjoyed your lovemaking and your sex and everything like that, actually was in their mind fantasizing about something totally different, particularly if the fantasy isn't easy to adapt to the partner. And by that, I mean, you know, if the fantasy is about an activity or an action, um, for example, someone has a spanking fetish and they've been fantasizing about being spanked, that is potentially an easier thing to deal with because it, it's an activity that your partner could try. It doesn't... Um, it isn't specific to a particular type of person so that it might be uh, something that doesn't match your partner at all. I mean, your partner might not be into it, but all sorts of people give spankings and get spankings. However, if your fetish or fantasy or kink is um, gender-based then that could be a real problem for your partner if they're not the appropriate gender or if the fantasy or kink or desire um, has specific physical characteristics to it. Again, that could be problematic because that's not, it, it's different from your partner. So that could feel threatening to your partner. Also, sometimes um, when people have fantasies about power exchange, they find it really difficult to engage in something like that with a partner that they've always been equal in an equal relationship with, right? So that can also be threatening because that might be a suggestion that somebody 
that somebody else be added to the relationship. And so um, when people have been in long-term monogamous relationships, the idea of opening a relationship up can feel very threatening, particularly if you've never considered it before. So what do we do in these situations? Oftentimes I suggest talking with a coach, a therapist about the issue it is that you want to raise. First, making sure that you are completely comfortable with the fetish, the kink, the desire that you're going to raise, that you can express it well, calmly and comfortably and with confidence. Um, that'll make it a bit easier for your partner. Make sure that you are able to explain what it is you want clearly. Don't use jargon. Don't use um, slang. Make sure that you're able to clearly explain. We work on preparing the person for potential reactions that your partner might have. You need to leave space for your partner's upset fright, disgust, fear, right? There needs to be space and you need to be able to not be offended, not be upset and be very comfortable holding that space and making it possible for your partner to have whatever feelings they have and to answer any of their questions so that they may be able to come around and consider what it is that you're asking of them and and, and what you're telling them. You have to understand that this is likely to be a surprise for them. And if it is a surprise, that it may not be a wanted surprise. You never know. It could be a wanted surprise. And in those situations, that's wonderful. But often it isn't. It's scary initially. Choosing to have the conversation yourself with no one else present can be quite difficult. So sometimes I will prepare people to do that. And that's about helping them to hold space. And sometimes... Being able to role play with a client is very useful. So I will be their partner and I will demonstrate a whole bunch of different reactions that I could have and help them to learn to hold the space and answer the questions and make it safe for their partner to feel how they feel, but also make it safe for their partner to be able to hear them. Um, And so role play and having a clear idea of how to create the the safe space to have the conversation are great ways to prep for something like that. Other times it just is too difficult and there are too many concerns about it not going well. And that is the point at which it's worth having the person ask their partner if they're willing to come to a session for this conversation. And in that situation, my job is really to hold that safe space, to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to speak, to make sure that people aren't um, insulting each other, being abusive towards each other, to make sure that they're in a position to hear each other. So I do that by sometimes intervening and asking somebody to stop and listen, asking somebody to rephrase a question, making sure somebody acknowledges what their partner is saying. And so basically we'll facilitate that conversation, which may be one session or more, depending on what the situation is. But sometimes a one, two hour session for a facilitated conversation is the best way to deal with this when you've been in a long-term committed monogamous relationship and you have 
a desire that you have never shared with your partner that actually is essential to your sexual pleasure. And when I say essential, what I mean is it's something that you really need in order to reach orgasm. And so it's something you'll think about and fantasize about because it's necessary for your orgasm. In some cases, it's just something you really, really desire and really want. And that conversation can be intense too, but maybe a bit of an easier conversation because there's more negotiating room. If it's not something that you need as part of your sexual satisfaction, then negotiating around when you get to do it and how often and and um, things like that um, can be much easier because it's just something you really enjoy, but it isn't essential to your sexual satisfaction. So if it's just something you really enjoy and your partner really kind of doesn't, isn't totally into it, but doesn't mind doing it occasionally, then, you know, every six months or so might be okay with you or every three months or so might be okay with you. Like, you know, every few months you go out to a fetish club and you play in public and your partner, you know, will, will um, take the dominant role or your partner will take the submissive role and you get to enjoy that every few months. And that's fine because it's, just another variation you really enjoy. And you'd been uncomfortable telling your partner about it because you weren't sure if they would find you odd or if they would be upset um, or if they'd be willing. But it it isn't something that you absolutely need for sexual satisfaction. Therefore, you've got plenty of negotiating room. On the other hand, If it is something you really need for sexual satisfaction, it's likely that you've been, you know, dealing with it in fantasy and in masturbation and that when you have sex with your partner, you've been in your head fantasizing because you cannot get off without whatever it is. And that kind of conversation is a bit more fraught because if your partner says, ew, gross, then where are you? It can be really difficult not to hear that as you are gross and disgusting rather than whatever it is you want to do is gross and disgusting. Um, If your partner says, no, I could never do that, then where are you? Then the question is, is there a way to get this need met in another circumstance? Is it possible to open the relationship up and you get this need met with another partner? And then would it be something that you would be able to? to set aside when having sex with your partner? If not, that can also be problematic. So the negotiation might be more difficult and the conversation has the potential to be um, more frightening because you don't know what your partner's going to respond and you know that this is essential to your enjoyment. So that's much better in my experience to do in a facilitated conversation. Um, And that's much better to do after you've had a few sessions, you know, where you can explore how important this is for you, what you'll do if this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and you're looking at the end of a relationship, what your options are, the different ways that you could meet this need without ending the relationship if your partner is not interested. So it's it's worth having the sessions to deal with that before the conversation and be ready for the conversation. I really wouldn't 
give advice and say, just go ahead and try this on your own. Because I think these, these situations can be so fraught and so difficult. So each one is individual. So I don't want to give generalized advice because each one is individual and they're so tense sometimes that really it's much better if you go and you do meet with a practitioner, go over your personal situation and do the preparation you need to do before approaching the conversation and consider having that be a mediated conversation if your partner's willing to do that. I hope that helps. My partner has um, changed shape and I'm not finding them as attractive anymore. And this is the question that um, Mark wrote in. This is a really difficult question and it's an area that people don't like to talk about um, because um, we're supposed to, if we love each other, always find our partners attractive, right? Isn't that the received wisdom? No matter how uh, they change over time. The reality is, is that we age. Um, we change shape for sure. Uh, sometimes we change shape, not because of aging, but because um, we've been ill and we lose weight or we gain weight because we've been ill or, 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 we, or we make lifestyle changes and we change shape. Um, and sometimes our changes are due to aging. Uh, other times they're due to things like pregnancy. So there's loads of different reasons that our body shapes and sizes will change uh, over the course of relationships. So what do you do if the changes in your partner are such that you no longer feel sexually attracted to them? Um, it's a very difficult one. It's not an easy conversation to have. And um, I would really suggest that you look at what is it that has changed that you no longer find attractive? Frequently, I find that there are also issues within the relationship. So it isn't just the body changes. It's also there's emotional issues that have arisen within the relationship. And so it is worth working on those emotional issues first um, and identifying them and then seeing where you are in terms of the physical issues. Sometimes uh, the changes are temporary. Other times, no matter um, how much this person might want to get back to the person that they were when they originally met you, they may not be able to. Um, and that means trying to figure out if there's a way to adjust. Is there something you can find attractive about them? In some cases, it's not too difficult. It's a mindset switch and it's stuff that we can work on quite easily in sessions. In other cases, it doesn't shift. Um, and the conversation then is about how you deal with not having an active sexual life when one of you really wants it and you really don't. Um, and what uh, options that you have in that situation. It is often incredibly painful work because it is so personal and it feels like such a personal attack. So again, this is one that I don't suggest that people do on their own because it's a really complex issue, but it does happen. It definitely happens. And so we have to look at what is it that changed? Rarely, our attractions to our partners are purely physical. 
Often, our physical attractions are not visual. I'll say that again. Often, our physical attractions are not visual. Visual is just one piece. There's the sound of the person's voice. There's the smell of them, the taste of them, the texture of their skin, the texture of their hair. So attraction is made up of all the sensory experiences. There's the way they behave. There's emotional reasons we become physically attracted, right? So somebody is amazing with your child. Be attracted to them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that their partner who's pregnant is the most sexy thing on the planet. And one of the big reasons that they are so sexy is that they are actually carrying their child, right? So it it isn't always visual. In fact, often it's not. We do tend to forget that though. We do tend to um, be drawn into the idea that it's it's primarily visual. Now, some people are very visual and for them, the visual changes might be a real issue. But um, for many people, that's not all there is. So sometimes one of the ways around this is to help somebody connect to the other senses where attraction has um, been and 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 the other ways in which they can stoke attraction and see what happens when they start using their other senses and and taking it away from their visual. That can make huge changes. That can resolve things in ways that are unexpected. Sometimes people just have to be reminded. Sometimes attraction is really about how somebody's treating you and how you're treating them. So all of these things need to be examined. But if you still differ from your partner, then you have to learn to discuss it in a manner that is non-hurtful and straightforward and um, where you create as safe a space as you can so that you can talk about these things and try and affect some resolution. And a lot of times um, couples have patterns of arguing and patterns of communication uh, that don't allow for resolution. So sometimes therapy is all about learning to communicate again. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is starting conversations when they don't have the other person's attention. Another one is attempting the conversation at the absolute wrong time. Now, sometimes the response to that when I say that is, but there's never a right time. Yes, there is, but you have to negotiate it with each other. There is a right time, but you have to negotiate it with each other. And if somebody is being really, really resistant to finding any time, they're giving you a message right there. So these are all things that um, need to be in place in order to work through an issue like this. Sometimes people's lack of attraction to the other because of their changes is really a reflection of their own body changes that they're not happy with. So it can be really important to take a look at where you are. What does your body look like? What changes have you gone through? Are you happy with those? Okay, I hope that that one helped. I was asked again whether um, STDs are passed um, orally and if it's important to use a barrier method 
when you're having oral sex, particularly if you are having sex with somebody who has a vulva. Yes, 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 yes. It is important to use a barrier method. However, I will say this. We all risk assess every time we decide to have sex with someone. And it is up to us to have the best information we can and make the best risk assessment we can and then make a choice because everything is a risk. The only way that you don't catch any disease ever is by never having sex. And even then our bodies, um, people with vulvous bodies will do weird things and you can end up with uh, yeast infection. You can end up with bacterial vaginosis. So, right, we can do all sorts of things without even having sex with somebody else. However, if you want to avoid the commonly sexually transmitted infections, the only way to 100% do that is to not have sex. But infections are passed more easily through penetrative sex, um, sorry, for th through intercourse. They're passed more easily through anal sex. Why? Well, because it's easier to tear the mucous membrane and you end up with access to the bloodstream and, and, and lots of, it, of these infections move into the bloodstream really quickly. And that is how um, you get the virus or the infection. So um, it's contact with, with the other person's bloodstream, fluids and bloodstream. So yeah, anywhere where you can tear easily is um, potential for infection. Um, so I like to remind people not to forget that if they have bleeding gums, there's access to the bloodstream. Um, so if you want to be more careful, then you use barrier methods of protection. If you're having sex with somebody who has a vulva, then barrier methods uh, are dental dams, which are like a flat condom, really, that you put over the vulva. Um, you can use saran wrap or cling film instead of um, buying a purpose-made latex dental dam, um, because the body will not get warm enough to melt the saran wrap or the cling film, you can use it and have it be just as successful. It's a lot less expensive. Some people don't like the texture of that. Some people don't like the texture of the dental dam. Some people don't like the flavor of the dental dam because it's made um, often made of latex. Also, if you have latex allergies, you've got to look at something that's latex-free. Um, but yes, that is the best way. If you are wanting to do rimming, which is um, using your tongue around somebody's anus, um, then that also works. The dental dam also works. You can also cut the end off of a condom and flatten it out. That works as well. If you're going to give a blowjob, you should absolutely put a condom on the, the penis. There's your barrier method. So yes, my answer is yes, yes, yes. Uh, the code to that question was, we're both lesbians, so is it important for us too? Yes, it's important for you too. It's really important to understand that, let's talk about HIV, that HIV is not confined to one gender and one sexuality. HIV has been transmitted vulva to vulva. HIV has been transmitted vulva to penis, penis to vulva, penis to ass, ass to penis, penis to mouth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 
The same is true for other infections. There is no sexually transmitted infection that is confined to a sexuality and gender. Yes, some infections are harder to transmit vulva to vulva. That doesn't mean they can't be transmitted. So um, being a lesbian and never, you know, and only sleeping with lesbians, so that means there are no penises anywhere to be found, does not guarantee you are safe. Also, let's talk about toys briefly. If you're going to share toys, then you need to use a condom. And when you strip the condom off, you then need to clean and sterilize the toy underneath. Really important if you're wanting to avoid infections. Don't forget that things like bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections need to be treated and all partners need to be treated or you will pass the infection back and forth forever. And I say it that way because I've seen it. I've seen weeks and weeks of a group of people passing the infection back and forth because everybody did not get treated and then wait to have sex until the infection had fully cleared. Hope that helps. Okay. I was asked if there is an easy way to figure out if you would enjoy being in an open relationship before you take the risk? Um, I think, you know, this is a difficult question. And it comes from somebody who was really clear that there are a lot of things that are fun in fantasy that turn out not to be so fun in reality. I mean, usually the things that don't work so fun in reality is because they're more complex than we thought they were. And that can make things difficult. So um, this is a bit of a difficult one. One of the ways of figuring out whether you're going to be comfortable with um, being in non-monogamous relationships is to look at how comfortable you are at sharing things. If you are comfortable at sharing your toys, if you're comfortable at sharing things as an adult, you may find it easier to share a partner, right? Because it's not that much of a different concept right? That idea that you don't have to fully possess something, um, that you don't have to hold on to it really tightly, uh, that you can share with others and you can get joy out of sharing with others, then you might find it an easier time. If you're somebody who's always found themselves um, wanting to have multiple relationships, who's found it very difficult to have um, monogamous relationships, if you're somebody who's either almost cheated, fantasized a lot, or actually cheated in all your relationships because you found it difficult to confine yourself to one person, then you might do well in an open relationship. But that's not a guarantee, right? You have to look at the reasons why um, and you have to make sure that you deal with any of your own insecurities and any of your own issues. Um if you're someone who really enjoys being able to do all the things you want to do and have all the experiences you want to have, 
with somebody who really wants to do that, then you may well enjoy non-monogamy as well. There's nothing worse than a partner coming along to do something with you that they really don't want to do and just being generally um, po-faced. <laughs> it's my favorite word for that, po-faced the whole day, you know, sulky, because they actually don't want to be there. I would much rather go and do that activity with somebody else who really wants to be there. And that's one of the joys of non-monogamy. It's also one of the joys of having lots of good friends. So, you know, it it, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to have sex with lots of people. You could just have lots of really good friends, but it is also very nice to share different sexual experiences with different people. I hope that helps. Okay, that is about it for this week. As I said, should be back to our regularly scheduled programs next week or the week after. Um, uh, we will have one topic or one or two topics and and probably a guest um, once the move has finally settled. If there's a topic you want to hear about, there's a person you'd like me to have a discussion with, a question you're dying to have answered, email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and let me know. I answer questions Every couple of months, um, sometimes the questions sparks an interest and I'll do a whole show on it. So do send the requests into me. I've been doing this a number of years and I'm trying to cover everything I can think of, but I want to cover what's interesting for you and what you really want to hear about. Reviews really help people to find podcasts and books that they enjoy. Each month, I raffle 30 minutes free with me to ask questions, to talk, to work on an issue, one-to-one via Zoom for some lucky person that wrote a review for the podcast or one of my books and posted it. If you want to be in the monthly draw, please send me an email with your email address and in the subject space, put review. Then I'll enter you into the draw and I will be in touch if you win the draw that month with a link so that you can book your 30-minute free session with me. I'll be back doing my lives with Mrs. Blue Frost on Instagram and some lives on TikTok as well um, at the beginning of December. And during December, we'll be doing some giveaways of books and toys and prizes and time. So do tune in. If you want to know what's going on first, the easiest way is to join my mailing list. Head over to drlauribethbisbee.com and fill in the form on the pop-up or fill in the contact form and you'll get added to the list. Uh, If you fill in the form on the pop-up, you'll also get whatever freebie I've got going that month as well. Be safe, have fun, and have a brilliant week. I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. 
If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy. Thank you.